missing out. I'm just saying. Anyway, oh, I shouldn't show that yet. Do you remember, do you remember the four books that are the prison epistles? Do you remember that? I tried to teach you a little trick about that. Remember? E-P-C-P? Every prisoner can pray. I used to say every prisoner causes problems, and then someone's like, how about every prisoner can pray? I'm like, wow. That's way better. So every prisoner can pray. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, you get it, E-P, see that? That's, that's just, anyway. All right. So um, we are in the book of Philippians. And if you pick up, you know, 10 commentaries from half-price books, there's a good chance that at least half of them are going to say the theme is joy. And, and the more you study it, I think the theme is partnering in the gospel and that has a product of joy, right? So it's really getting, you know, today he's going to say, hang on to the gospel of truth. That's our cornerstone. That's where we, we, that's where we anchor. Anyway, so uh, the Philippians. And last time I think I tried to make a point that it's interesting. In every other letter Paul writes to a church, he says, Paul, an apostle. And this one he doesn't because he's inviting these people to step away from their publicly proclaimed honor and titles and big deal things. And so he just ditches the apostle. And then he, he says, a servant, doulos, a slave. And in the Roman culture, they despise slaves. So I kind of made a joke that, you know, already the very first verse the English teacher is going to be like, yeah, this, this isn't a good way to start the letter if you want the Romans to really be excited about this. But it's the Holy Spirit's work, so we'll just move on, all right? Anyway, so here's, here's partnership. That's what we're thinking about today. It's partnering in the gospel. And apologies, I'm going to skip the maps today. If you're a first-time visitor, I'm just so sorry. You'll have to come back next week, okay? More maps next week. But uh, this is what we're talking about. Uh, the word is koinonia partnering, participation, communion, fellowship, and it, it's really the glue that holds the book together. So, and the, the word partnership shows up four times once in each chapter. It's kind of neat. Chapter one, he's thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Chapter two, he kind of lays the foundation for the gospel, the partnership, you know, Jesus partnered with the Father and they created the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul partners with in spreading the gospel. Chapter three, partnering in the gospel for Paul meant forgetting his past and, like Jesus, humbly becoming a servant for the sake of others. And then chapter 4, Philippians partnered with Paul's physical needs, and Paul is telling them that God will partner with them for their spiritual needs. And so that's kind of that's where we're at here. All right. So uh, the key verse for chapter 1 was, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. Chapter 2. We're still in chapter 2 today. So if there is any encouragement. And remember the word there is since. So since there is encouragement in Christ. And comfort from love. Participation in the spirit. Fellowship in the spirit. Communion in the spirit. Any affection and sympathy complete my joy. By being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord of one mind. And so look at the focus on how you think here. Right? Same mind. One mind and full accord means to be of the same mind. So three times he's like, you got to think differently. You have to think as citizens of heaven, not as citizens of Rome. And that has been the big culture. He's inviting them to partner with the gospel. And today he is inviting them to work out the results of that salvation in their Roman context. That's 
basically what he means by, by uh, work out your, your salvation, okay? So he's already told them that God started the work in them and God will finish the work in them. And they're stuck in the middle trying to figure out how to apply the salvation that they already have. And that's working out the gospel, okay? So just a review here. Um, this is a very Roman colony. Uh, Philippi, the city on the second missionary journey, very Roman colony. And um, uh, I guess I should get the title here. Partnering with the gospel means you're not alone. God works in us as we work it out. So we already have the salvation. He's working it out. But um, it's a very Roman colony, and it's so Roman that the, the rigid military structures of the Roman military shaped the, the society and culture into a stratification focused on who has honor, who has priority, who has privilege, who has rank. And this is just the way that that whole culture worked. I mean, they didn't choose it. It's just the way it is. Just like we don't choose to be consumers, it's just the way we are, right? And so that's where we're going today. It's going to be good. But anyway, um, I'm just saying it's, it's a challenge. Uh, they even found, archaeologists even found in Philippi that average citizens erected monuments about how great they were. Just like we would rent billboards and like, you know, Joe is just, he's, he's the best dad ever. And maybe that's nice for Father's Day, but it's just awkward when you're doing it yourself. And this is just common. They, would, they were preoccupied with self-exaltation and honor and privilege and rank. And Paul's coming in there saying, well, here's this gospel of Jesus. And, and look at Jesus. He didn't regard his status as something to be held onto. He freely spent it for you. And that's how you need to think as citizens of heaven, not citizens of Rome. And let me tell you, if you heard that message as Roman citizens, you would have a headache. Your brain is exploding because you're like, what does that even mean? How do I, how do I not engage in this Roman culture? It's everywhere. It's how my world works. Paul, he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. There's tension coming. And that's why you need to do this with fear and trembling. And that's why you're not alone. God, God worked the salvation in you, and now... You together, fellowship, need to work it out, figure out what it looks like in your own culture. All right. So um, anytime a group of people get together, they form a certain culture. That's just how, that's how that works, right? So culture is the accumulation of behaviors motivated by our core values. So if any group of people has common core values, they're going to naturally behave in a certain way. And, you know, enough time, you have a culture. Sometimes people pick a culture intentionally, other times it just happens, right? The Roman culture is not friendly to the gospel. It's, just, it's not friendly to the gospel. Um, they're preoccupied, as I said, with themselves. And Paul is saying as citizens of heaven, and he went through these things. He says you should, you should live worthy of the gospel. You should stand firm with one mind, and you should not be frightened by your opponents. And then he points to Jesus Christ, who had that mind and that... Um, he emptied himself. He didn't view his status as something to be hung on to, but he willingly let it go and um, humbled himself for the sake of others. And so it was hard for them to back away from their Romanness, just as it's hard for us to think about backing away from consumerism. And um, where consumerism, 
let me just say this. God built us to be consumers. I and mean, we have to, you know, I, I bought clothes and I had food this morning. I had to buy it from Aldi or my wife buys it from Aldi. Anyway, uh, there's always food in the fridge. I don't know where it comes from, but um, it's like a magic fridge. But um, so we, we consume things. And it, the problem is when, when our hearts and our values are so attached to being a consumer that they're no longer attached to Jesus. And that's, that's our issue. Basically, that comes from our cultural practice in which we really made God a commodity. He is something to be used, not really someone to be worshipped. We use him to get what we want because we use everything else in our culture. We consume it to get what we want. So that is our issue. Um, it was not their issue, but it's the same parallel issue. That So when we read Philippians, we go, okay, this is how I can apply this and, and uh, make it work. So it really raises the question, um, where do our values come from? What shapes our values? How do you know what your values are? Have you ever been asked to do something illegal, immoral, or just stupid? And how you respond to that reveals your values, right? You're, you're, you're like, I, I, I'm just not going to do that. I can't do that because of my values. Or you're like, it's just, sure, let's do that. I don't care. Okay, well, now we, now we see what's really ticking on the inside and what causes us to take some heat for something or just to roll with it and, and, and um, ignore some things. And that, that takes a heart of wisdom. Well, anyway, how we respond in that moment reveals our values. And um, we don't live in a culture like Rome. We live in our own culture. And we have partnered with the gospel here. And so these, th this is our, our church, our church values. You've seen this before. We value knowing God's word, experiencing grace and forgiveness, growing in healthy relationships and impacting others. So let me just ask you this. What if every one of us here in the room and online, appreciate you guys tuning in on, online. What if every one of us just nailed these rhythms? I mean, we are just just so in love with Jesus, we consistently pray and read the Bible, we forgive and have a great community, and, and, and our relationships are thriving, centered on God's grace, and we're serving whoever God puts in our path. We're just, we're just ticking, you know, all cylinders are firing. Do you see, if each one of us are doing that, what kind of culture that would create, right? What we do individually, when you throw us all together, shows up and creates a culture, okay? That's kind of what we're talking about, all right? So uh, our culture is hostile to the gospel because of consumerism, and their culture was hostile, hostile to the gospel because of um, the Roman ar army and status. Okay, so um, here's a good quote about how we have commodified the gospel. We just use him. It's more beneficial to use Christ than to know him. We use him to make ourselves feel better, to develop a plan for making life work. To keep hoping that we'll get everything we need to be happy, we rarely worship. So, um, Larry Crabb and the Silence of Adam. I loaned that book to somebody like 10 years ago and never got it back. But anyway, um, so if you're listening, <laughs> I don't know who it is. I'm just, it's just gone. Anyway, um, but seriously, it's a good book. But we, we do tend to, we, we think about objects as something to consume to give us some benefit, and, and it's just natural in our culture without really thinking that, well, I look at God as something to use to get what I want, what I need. 
And then if you've heard people, maybe you've said it like, well, I've been following God, I'm doing what he says, but I, but I didn't get what I want. I'm disappointed. Because the transaction has failed. We think we can manipulate God by, I do, I do A and I do B. Well, where's C? Come on. Doesn't, doesn't God love me? Is he not all-powerful? See, see where we go? We get, we get confused as a culture pretty quick. So let's go on here and let's go ahead to uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Dive in here. It's page 981 in your, in your book, um, the Bible, in your uh, the chairs there. Anyway, therefore, my br- beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For or because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. A couple observations here. First, the you is plural. So um, is he writing to a, a group or to individuals? Yes. Right? He's writing to the group because it's plural. He's like, he's like, all of you, work out your own salvation. God works in you. Plural. Okay, this, this, is, this is rich and good. We, we need to get, get our heads around this. Um, he says, you've always obeyed. And that word has the connotation of you have heard the proclaimed word and you've submitted to that proclaimed word. And he says, you've, you've done this. You've always done this. You've heard it and submitted. And now he's going to give them, here's the next step of obeying and, and following what you've been hearing. Okay. Um, again, living worthy of the gospel, standing firm, and not freaked out about opposition. This is just the bread and butter of what he's talking about, okay? Basically, their eyes are going to be slowly open to the reality that, wait a second, are you telling me that if we follow the gospel of Jesus, we're going to have opposition and, and, and troubles and hardships? And Paul's like, yeah, now you're tracking with me. Okay, that's exactly what he's saying, and that's going to be, um, be interesting. Okay, so he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, he is talking to everybody. But think about this. If, if we as a church have a problem with our corporate culture, it's because of us individually embracing something wacky, right? If we all embrace something weird, together we're going to be weird. So if, if, if we have a problem, it really comes down to me and you, each one of us, individually. That makes sense? So here's, here's the bumper sticker for today. Maybe we'll, we'll sell some T-shirts online. If the problem is we, the solution starts with me. See, don't you think we can, we can make some money on that? It's good. If the problem is we, then I am part of the solution. How I think and my values. Because if I take some things seriously and make some changes, and you and you and you and everybody does, together our whole culture is going to shift. Okay? So it's all, it's all tied together. All right? Um, think about this in your, in your corporate workplace. You've seen this. Uh, if, if the corporate workplace is poisonous and vindictive and manip- manipulative, you, you, you're like, oh, it's just so hard to be here. Well, the problem is it could be leadership, but it also could be everybody else fighting and arguing and siloing and pushing back, right? Well, the solution to that can start with you and me being open and transparent and, and thinking like an owner instead of like an employee and starting to make some suggestions about this, that, and the other thing. And, and I know that doesn't always go well, but anyway, um, in, instead of joining in the corporate complaining, we can obviously take a different track, all right? Anyway, Paul is saying individually, if you take your salvation and apply it to your context as Christ would want you to, it's going to shape the whole culture 
and uh, solve some problems. All right? God began it. He'll finish it. You're in the middle trying to figure it out. So let me just say this clearly because this is not saying work for your salvation. He doesn't say that. You already have the salvation. God is already in you. Take it from there. And, and, and how, do, how, do, how does it impact my Romanness? How does it impact my consumerism? This is what he's talking about, all right? So the unconditional gift of personal salvation brings with it responsibilities to figure out how, it, how to engage my social context, my relationships, and all those things. And he says to do it with fear and trembling. Um, now, that fear and trembling doesn't mean insecurity or uncertainty about God's love for me. It's fear and trembling. And he uses this in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians 6, the same phrase, fear and trembling. Every time Paul uses this, it means reverence and humility in mutual relationships. All right, so really, did you hear that? It's not insecurity, uncertainty about God's love for me or my position with him. It's about reverence and humility in our relationships. The problem is with, with each one of us if the problem is all of us. And so as we mutually work this out, re, uh, being respectful and careful with one another, that's going to ripple ripple through. Okay, so uh, just to be clear, our salvation is a free gift by God through grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, super classic. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, so... We're saved by grace, so that grace will impact your social context, all right? Um, you have responsibility to apply it, and he says, hold on to the gospel and, and make it work. So um, how does that work, all right? How that works, um, and he says in Galatians, you keep in step with the Spirit. You, you listen to the Spirit of God, and, and you, the Spirit of God is in you. Any believer in the New Testament era has the Spirit of God. Now, sometimes you're thinking, I don't think Brother Joe over there has the Spirit of God because did you see what he did? Well, we can quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit, but the Spirit is still residing in the believer. Romans 8 9 makes that uh, clear in other passages. Anyway, um, how, it, how it applies in your context is different. Same gospel, different application to your contexts, Okay. So, um, and the good news is here, it says God, is, God works in you. You're not alone in this. Uh, he is working. It says he is working in you. Uh, and that word work, the, the, the word, the Greek word is energio or something like that, but it's where we get the word energy, the power, the, the working, the doing. He is in us, giving us the power that's already in us to work out our salvation um, by listening to the Holy Spirit, reading the word of God. Okay. So, um, in other words, he has worked in us unconditional salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, we have that, and, and what does it look like in the hospital that I work in, in the cement factory that I work in, landscaping, uh, the, the architectural firm, or the legislature, city hall, or the police department, or, or the university? Same gospel, different application based on our different situations, Okay. And this is our responsibility to work it out, to figure it out. What does it look like? How do I navigate life in this context, in a culture that's, that has made God a product to consume? What does it look like? And the, the, the Philippians, as they embrace this seriously, they're going to be just, just smashing into their culture and, and, and being different. And you and I, as we follow Jesus, will probably be different. 
And, and that comes with some social cost. That comes with some awkwardness. Maybe there's a loss of relationship or attention. And, and in a good sense, not that we're, 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 we're not being jerks, you know what I mean? Because that can also cause you to lose a relationship. But we're, we're just following Jesus sincerely, and some people might distance themselves from us. And we might, we might um, lose a job or, or get reassigned to, to um, some faraway place. If that happens, you can still follow us on YouTube, okay? Anyway. Um, all right. So growth in the Christian life. Here, here's, here's we, we read God's word. We listen to his spirit. And we fellowship with one another, with other believers who are likewise figuring out how to apply their salvation in their context. And we, we, we share stories. How is it going for you? And what, what have you learned? And, and we support each other, right? Imagine if we all do that, what kind of culture that we have. And, and I think we have a great culture here. We have a culture that champions God's grace. We understand that. Um, and I really appreciate that about us. In fact, um, reading God's word listening to the Spirit, and fellowshipping. Um, two of those we tried to hit in that worship, Friday night worship thing last week. Just a great chance to worship God, listen to His Spirit. We, we divided up in men and women and, and had passages of Scripture we read through and we prayed through. And it was so intentional based on what we're doing as a body here. We're, we're probably going to do that again in a couple months. So just kind of log that in your mental memory and, and uh, try to capitalize on that. Because it's not just, you know, we get together and and, and, and sing um, a couple songs, it's, it's, um, it's an opportunity for us to continue to create that culture as we individually engage in worship, listening to the Spirit of God, and fellowshipping with uh, like-minded people. So that's why our number one value is God and His Word. We have to know God and His Word. That's where it all starts. Okay, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, I'm not sure you caught power of that verse so so we have the weight responsibility of figuring out our salvation at the workplace in our relationships and that can be kind of a heavy heavy thing and then he says well god works in you he's the power he works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure so what this means is that have you ever lacked the motivation or the will to stop some addictive behavior or or some Whatever it is weird in your life, some sin, yet you're not alone. He works with your motivation. It's not entirely up to you to just, you know, cowboy up and beat that thing. I, I mean, you're not going to beat that thing if, if you, you never are concerned about beating that thing, but it's not all up to you. He works with you. And, and have you ever lacked the power? Because it just keeps defeating you. Have you lacked the power? He works with you. For his good pleasure, that power, that energy, that's, that, that's, that's what he's talking about. So, so God initiated love, we respond to his love, and I've said it before, if you have an obedience problem, you don't have an obedience problem. You have a love problem, because we respond to his love, and that response comes from our, our genuine heart of following Jesus because of who he is, not because of he's, he's a commodity to manipulate right? Now, some Christians just, they, they just like, I do the checklist. I do this, I did this, I did this, and so now I should get what I want because I've done that transactional view, right? That doesn't work. If, if you don't believe me and you're married, just start thinking in terms of your husband or wife, purely transactional. If I do the trash and I cook the eggs, then this will happen, and it doesn't always happen, and that's what I'm talking about, okay? Anyway, 
So, okay, so um, the very next thing he says, he says, God works in you to will and to work. The very next thing he says, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Interesting. You get the sense that if you, if you buy into this Roman culture and you're trying to uppity up yourself against other people, there's going to be some grumbling and disputing. I'm better than you. No, you're not. I've got the billboard down here. I, it says I am. And, you know, and then there's disputing. And that culture is dividing. And, and Paul is like, you know, do all things. Work it out with the illumination of the gospel. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Just imagine a crooked and twisted path, a dark path, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, holding fast to the gospel, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain. A lot of stuff going on here. That run in vain, it's an Olympic metaphor. Okay, Olympics have been on. We, we keep kind of poking through some recordings of it, you know what I mean, and just watching it. Kind of fun. Um, anyway, the Olympics, um, they, they originally happened in um, Olympia, Greece, every four years, and they would have running, boxing, chariots, horses. They even had poetry and reading scripture, or reading <laughs> scripture, singing. Reading poetry and singing, get that right. Um, but what Paul is talking about here, running in vain, it's, it's, it's the, Olympic, the, Olympic, the Olympics were every four years, not everybody could make it to Olympia, so they, they spawned off a bunch of other smaller uh, Olympic games. This one he's talking about is the Isthmian Games in Corinth every two years. Just so happens that, that the, the Olympics at, Ith, at Corinth were in the year 51 in the spring. And that's exactly when Paul goes through Corinth on his second missionary journey uh, in Acts 18. And so, like 99% chance that he is in Corinth when the Olympics are going on. And you remember that weird verse in Acts that, that, that goes on and it says, After this, Paul left a Athens and went to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila with his wife. Um, they were in the same trade as he was. They were tent makers. Now, there's no Motel 6 in Corinth, so when the Olympics happen, everyone crowds. They literally stay in tents and camp out all over the place, and there's always a need to make, sell, or repair tents because everyone's in tents. So he's like, business opportunity. You got to go there, and, and, and you, you, you do the tent making thing. So that's, that's what he's doing there. So the running in vain, um, it's an interesting um, Interesting model. Let's back up in, in the passage here, though, because he says it's a crooked and twisted generation. You shine as lights holding fast to the gospel. The gospel is your light. It's not you. All right? Uh, there's, a, there's a Scottish preacher uh, that said, We cannot at one and the same time show that we are clever and that Christ is wonderful. I'll say that again. We cannot one at the same time show that we are clever and that Christ is wonderful. Isn't that neat? And um, the Roman culture is, is trumpeting them as clever, and the gospel culture is saying Christ is wonderful. All right? They don't always, they don't always fit together. But it's, it's a crooked and twisted path, and Paul is saying you shine as lights because you have the gospel. Hang on to the gospel. Now, I think I've mentioned this before. 
But um, just imagine a, a dark, twisted, 14-mile path through the woods in northern Wisconsin. Um, uh, some friends of mine, and uh, we did a, um, it's the 24-hour, it was the national 24-hour championship. It was a co-ed team, and we got first place. Um, they gave us these clay mugs. We're not drinking beer or anything. It just, that's what they gave us as a trophy. But we got first place in this, in this national event as co-ed teams, and, and it was great. So here's, here's a little tip. Anytime someone says they got first place, you should ask them, well, how many others were in the event? <laughs> Notice there's no second place or third place. We were the only team. I'm just saying, something to follow up the conversation with if someone starts bragging about being first place. Anyway, so my, my whole point here, I'll never forget this. This was back in the, this is before LED lights. This is when HID lights, high intensity discharge lights were a big deal. They're crazy expensive. And so my buddy there in the green shirt on the right, um, he, he let me use his lights for night riding. I, I, I think I said this like a year or two ago, but anyway, someone's bound to be new, I'll say it again. Um, so he, he, I had one light on my handlebars and one light on my head. They each were $500 lights. I had $1,000 of bicycle lights blazing through this 14-mile dark wooded area. And I, I'm telling you, I would come across somebody with like the $30 light from Shields that they could kind of see. But when I came behind them, it's like a train light that casts so much light in front of them, it was black. And they literally couldn't see, so they had to stop. It was so much fun because I'm in a race. I'm going along, and I come up somebody. They would just, ah, they pull off, and I pass them. I'm like, this is great. Um, it's even better to know somebody with those lights so you don't have to buy them. You just use them anyway. So, um, but I, I think of that, and I think of Paul is saying you can't run this race with dim lights. It's crooked. It's, it, it's twisting, and, and it's dark, and the gospel is your light. And you need the gospel to see correctly how to navigate these difficult things in your social relationships, all right? So, again, um, we read God's word, we listen to his spirit, we fellowship with other like-minded people, and that's how we are going to navigate with the gospel the twisted paths that we have in front of us, all right? So verse 16, holding, to, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. There's that gospel metaphor. And, and, and everything rests on the gospel for him. And I've showed you this quote in the past, but, but think about the centrality of the gospel when you read this. The good which the mind cannot discover, the will cannot choose, nor the affections cleave unto. And what Paul is saying is that you have to hold fast to the gospel. That's the good. And the gospel will reverberate down line, and it will change your affections, and it will change your values. Right? And this is, this is why God, uh, Paul is celebrating, hey, the gospel's advancing. I may die. Other people are preaching to make me, you know, painful, and I'm in jail. But I'm rejoicing. Why? Because he has had his values and his affections changed by the living God in him and God's word, right? And, and so um, that is the work of the spirit of God within us. And it takes time, but, but um, this is where he wants his, um, his people to go and to, to be changing and change their attitudes, values. So uh, he says, just so that I might not run in vain. And that's that Olympic, that Olympic thing. But here's the thing with the Olympics. You know, it, our Olympics, we get well, uh, gold, silver, and bronze, Right. And uh, I've, re I've read some studies that said the, um, the bronze winner is always happier than the silver medalist. You're like, 
Well, but why? The silver medals beat the bronze. Because the silver medal says, like, that close to gold. The bronze is thinking, I just almost didn't even get one. And so seriously, the third place bronze is just thrilled to be on the podium. Anyway, in the ancient days, there was only one crown, one winner. And if you lost, <coughs> I was yelling, yelling at a bunch of guys last night in the feed, so my throat's a little... Anyway, if you lost, you, were, you didn't just lose, you were shamed. Sometimes you were beaten. So it's a big deal to not win in the ancient Olympics, all right? And, uh, and in fact, here's one, one guy, his name was Agathos Diamond. Um, there was an epitaph, a carving about him. He died in the boxing, boxing in the stadium, having prayed to Zeus for a wreath or death. They didn't have innings or halftime, they would just box until someone either gave up or collapsed or died. That's just how it was. And, and when we get to chapter 3, I'll read um, some other stuff. Matt, make sure you're here for that because it's, it's serious MMA to death. Anyway, um, all right. So that's a little different than our Olympics. Our Olympics, I'm looking at the Olympics and these snowboarders, they're just having so much fun. They all hug each other. and like, that's so much fun. I'm in this sport because it's fun. And then I look at cross-country skiing. And, <laughs> and they just collapse almost. I'm just like, why would anyone do that? I, it's just they're suffering. And it's, it's, so this is Jesse Diggins. It was six degrees, strong winds, 30K of skiing. She had food poisoning 30 hours before this and cramping the last 17 kilometers. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I think I'll do snowboarding. That's fun. Anyway, so our Olympics, just to help you understand, a little different than the Olympics in ancient Corinth, okay? Paul doesn't want to run in vain, and so um, and that's, that's all right. Anyway, verse 17. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should rejoice with me. My values have been transformed. My affections have been transformed. You should expect your values to be transformed and rejoice with me if the gospel is spreading even though I die. Interesting, isn't it? Um, he uses that same language Look at this. this uh, we just read this verse right here. The year is 62, AD 62. Five years later, just before his death, he dies in 68. He says, already being poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure has come. He knows his clock's done and, and his um, sentence is um, going to kill him. And then he does. He, he's killed um, by Nero. Anyway, um, so my question, my question is, if Paul wrote this letter to us in Omaha, what does he say? We're not the Roman culture with, you know, stratification and honor and, you know, self-proclaiming self in the way they were. Uh, we have other issues. But our problem is in thinking about how we are, just like thinking was their problem. And we tend to go to this, this right here. We're like, well, yeah, I, I, I went to church four times a week, and I gave 90% of my money, and, and I haven't eaten chocolate or whatever it is. We come up with these weird rules, and like, well, so I should get something. I want this. Well, newsflash, Skippy, A plus B doesn't equal C. That manipulation doesn't work with God, right? And, and um, you and I have all been there even subtly because our culture, you know what I mean? It just, we, just kind of, we just kind of gravitate towards that. 
And so here's, we have reduced the gospel to a formula. We want to reduce it to a formula. We've reduced God to something we use, we consume, a commodity to, to, to exploit. And so that's where we have to be careful with that. Um, and here's another imagery of that, again, that book. I keep coming up with it because it's pretty good. But there, we're, we're built to live with God. Sometimes we gravitate to different postures, like extreme postures. And, and one of them is, you know, well, A plus B, so I should get priorities or principles to control my life. That this is why this person reads scripture, because I, I want principles to control my life. Uh, over here, from God. Well, I do A and B because I, I want to get blessings from God. I, I don't really care about God. I just want the blessings from God. You see what I'm saying? They don't say that. We don't say that, but that's just kind of what's going on. Down at the bottom. Well, I do A and B. I do all the right things because I, I want to avoid punishment. So you do A and B, and then something bad happens, and, and you freak out. Interesting. Over on the left, serving God. We do things for God. Well, I do A and B. I'm working so hard, accomplishing great things, and yet I'm empty and disheartened because I'm missing life with God. Now, I want to be clear, all these things, you know, it is true, there are principles we can live by, and God is a God of blessings, and we can get disciplined, and, and it's great to serve, but, but all those things are best when they flow out of a live relationship with God, not just as the only thing. You get it? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, that's important. All right. So, um, here are a couple quotes that help you understand what I'm, what I'm saying. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. That is our contribution to the gospel as a nation. Oops. Right? It's just, that's just, that's our culture. I mean, we're hardworking, we're individualistic, we're entrepreneurs, we just, we make things happen. And, and we consume and we manufacture, and those are great things, and God has given us that. But again, it's not the only way to live. And here's, here's another penetrating quote. The reduction of even sacred things into commodities also explains why we exhibit so little reverence for God. In a consumer worldview, he has no intrinsic value apart from his usefulness to us. He's a tool we employ, a force we control, a resource we plunder. We ascribe value to him, which is the literal meaning of worship, based not on who he is, but what he can do for us. And so that, that is our challenge, right? The Romans had a challenge that's different from ours, but as we work out our salvation, we're out, we have to grapple with this commodity twisting of God and his image and his gospel and consuming things to control things. And if, you, if you're like me at this point, you kind of have like a blank thing in here like, well, where does that leave me? What do I do? I don't even know how to imagine a life that's not consuming, Right? And so, um, again, it's not wrong to buy things. Um, it's just wrong when we start to view the commodity thing and we put God into that picture and think we can control him. So, in other words, we're so close to our culture, we, we can't see straight. So here's a test. What is this? Satellite image of Siberia? Uh, mountain ranges, rivers, like a, maybe a microscope, something going on in your brain? I don't know. Anyway, so um, if you look at this, it's hard to see what it is because you're too close. What it is, it's a glass that held a protein shake. <laughs> but, but when you're up close, you wouldn't think that. 
right? And so, in a weird way, I'm just saying we're so close to our culture, we can't see straight. We can't see how to be, maybe that didn't work for you, but I'm just saying um, we're so close to it, we can't see objectively because we're, we're, we're viewing everything as a commodity. We need to learn to worship, pray to God as he is, not just what we get from him, all right? Um, and so because of that, he looks at two people. He looks at Timothy and, and Epaphroditus because these two guys have figured it out. They're prime examples of what it means to partner with the gospel. Timothy, it says, um, he genuinely was concerned for your welfare. Remember what he said? Be concerned about other people. He's like, Timothy is concerned about you, all right? And Epaphroditus almost died serving these guys are living examples of people who have partnered with the gospel and have figured out how to work out their salvation. They've figured out that it's about serving. It's not about them. It's about investing in other people, all right? And so that's what's going on. In verse 29, he says this about Timothy and Epaphroditus. So receive him and the Lord with joy. Honor such men, plural. Honor them, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So he's, he's, you remember this Roman culture is all about honor. And he's trying to re-educate them. This is the kind of thing you should honor. Now, honor is all about valuing, right? You should value men who are servants, who give themselves for you, not the Roman honor system. So the gospel will reorient what we value and what we honor. Isn't that great? And he's helping them. Honor these men. They're servants. Hardworking. All right? We can't live like servants if we don't think like servants. And Jesus Christ is the only example of that. He humbled himself. He had status. He spent it for the sake of other people. All right? So that leaves us with a couple key questions today. How are you working out your salvation, applying it to your social, relational, financial, emotional, employment context, whatever it is? We're called to be lights in the world. And doesn't that presuppose the adoption of different values? Because if you didn't adopt different values, you're, you're not a light in the world. You're still in the dark, right? And so, so how, how, where are you getting your values? What shapes them? What's important to you? Why is it important? And what does the Lord have for you as you, in your context, in whatever area you're in, as you apply the gospel? All right? Partnering with the gospel means you're not alone. We have his word, we have his spirit, and we have each other. And that as we individually move towards him, shapes a culture. That's a beautiful thing, all right? And, and we have that. We should be gracious for that, grateful for that, all right? Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being called and claimed by you. Uh, we definitely do pray for the brothers and sisters in Russia and Ukraine, the, 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 the innocent bystanders that are just in the way of this aggression and retaliation and defense and offense. Uh, we pray that those who walk with you would, would have your mind, that they would, even in their need, serve others and have compassion for others, even perhaps having left their homes um, and, and in great need, that, um, that you would shine through them and that many, many would come to know you in a, in a personal, significant, eternal way. And for us, we pray that as we live in, a, in a, an opulent culture full of abundance, shelves full of stuff, that we would not view you as a commodity to exploit, but, but as a God to love, a God to submit to, and a God to 
walk through every moment of every day with, um, firmly secure in you as we work out the practical implications of the salvation you've given us freely. Amen. ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me song outrageous songs sung by flaming tongues of love praise the mountain fixed upon mountain of love